0: On your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast. Coming up on the second best of edition of the GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast, it's our Legends episode, where we highlight some of the interviews we've done over the last few years with women who have had a significant impact on the game in both Australia and overseas. I'm Peter Holden, and welcome to the second best of edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for the summer of 2016-2017 and as we record this we're just a couple of days out from Christmas Day so I'd like to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year five interviews coming up on this podcast, four of them from our podcast series and one of them pre-our podcast days. That coming up for you in just a moment's time. But some of the interviews that we've got for you include Susan Alberti. We recorded a special half-hour podcast with her back in 2015. We've got highlights of that coming up. We've also got the captain of the Great Britain Swans in Laura Turner uh, just before they won their European Championship. And of course, they'll be making their debut at the International Cup 2017 in Melbourne next year we also catch up with the uh, women's director of the US AFL Andrea Casillas Uh, this was recorded back in 2015 and we also have uh, Nicole Graves Uh, we spoke with her just a couple of months ago about the uh, 10th anniversary of the uh, Australia versus Ireland International Rules Series, the only one that was ever played. But our first interview is a very special one. This was recorded before we began our podcast in February of 2015. This was recorded back about August 2014. Um, it was a match between the VU St. Auburn Spurs and the Eastern Devils at Kings Park in St. Albans. It was the second last game for Lou Watton, so it was uh, just before what her week began, just before uh, she went into retirement. And as we all know, she's come out of retirement. It's going to play for Collingwood in 2017 in the AFL women's competition. But on that day, it was all about Debbie Lee, the legend of Victorian women's football premiership, player, president, state representative, all Australians, medals named after her, uh, responsible for helping start the uh, women's exhibition matches between Melbourne and the Bulldogs, and uh, of course uh, numerous medals named after her. The list of honours just keep going on and on, but this interview was recorded at a very special moment. It was pre-match, just before she ran out for her 300th game of football. So please enjoy this uh, special little interview that was recorded before the game, and we start Started off by asking uh, Debbie Lee how does she feel with the term legend being used to describe her?
1: Oh, it doesn't. I'm not very comfortable with it, to be honest. Uh, I've played uh, a number of games, but on uh, yeah, it's it's nice. But at the end of the day, um, I've just gone about trying to grow the the league and also just play footy.
0: Well, of course, you started off as a 17-year-old uh, East Brunswick Scorpions, uh, originally from Vale, the correct side of the Mini Ponds Creek, which I'm glad to hear. <laughs> uh, the Scorpions, of course, from Correct, were formerly Broad Meadows before they went to East Brunswick. You had a couple of years there. Who first got you along to training to pull on a Scorpions jumper? Uh,
1: well, I was, I was playing basketball for a number of years and I just happened to flick through the local paper and saw a, a games result and it was a photo of East Brunswick Scorpions, which was down mm. in Albert Street mm. in Brunswick. So... A friend of mine and uh, myself decided to go down and have a kick and see what this was all about and uh, so I played at East Brunswick for, for two years and then came across and started my own team at Sunshine YCW in 93.
0: Before you started at uh, YCW down at Kinder Smith Reserve uh, when East Brunswick folded and we've seen over the years a, a number of women's sides unfortunately haven't gone the distance can you see the writing on the wall during the final season or does it happen that quickly during the off season?
1: Oh, I think you could probably um, see the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, I, I think that one of the biggest things that why teams fold is just sheer um, resources, mm. you know. Uh, often we can't sustain our clubs and that's why it's really important unfortunately or fortunately that players have to take more responsibility of their club and responsibilities um, you know in in, in our club at the St Albans Spurs we make sure that every player is involved in a committee capacity so we can be sustainable so that does not happen and that's probably testament to the fact that we've been around since 93 so that there's a real culture, club Mm. culture that you're not just here to play footy, put your bag down and play on a Sunday, you're actually here to help out and grow the club and be a, a true part of the club as
0: a 19 year old what made you want to start a club in the western suburbs because it could have been easy at that age to say i'll just join whatever other clubs going around or to be honest as any 19 year old female you could have been partying hard or backpacking somewhere around the world
1: yeah that's true i I guess um I sort of, as I said, sort of accidentally found um, East Brunswick Scorpions. And I love footy. I've always had yeah. a passion, more than any other sport. So I thought it was quite. It would be quite disappointing if I only played two years and that was it. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? So a couple of friends of um, mine were playing cricket over in Sunshine. So I thought, well, if they're accommodating for a women's cricket side, there's a chance they'll be mm. uh, happy to have a female football side. Mm. Uh, but certainly back in the early 90s, very different. Very different mm. environment. Very tough and challenging for girls to actually... Um, play footy, I never actually told anyone mm. I played footy for probably three years because mm. of the stigma and the, um, the poor reception you yeah. would have received as trying to play a male dominated sport and it's great to see that's changed now
0: what about the move from YCW to St Albans? How did, did you approach the St Albans or did they approach you?
1: Well, what happened with um, Sunshine, their priorities changed, which yep. as they do, they were trying to concentrate on their senior footy and they felt that like they had to put more resources into that and men's senior mm. footy. And uh, there was a connection with a couple of girls through this club and um, we thought it was a really good um, fit that was still in the West and uh, we came up here in 2000. As you can see today by the facilities, we're really well looked after.
0: Uh, throughout your career, you were also playing president. Did you feel that you had to set an example on the field? And, and, I, and I put an example against someone like a Peter Searle, who admits she didn't know she was going to get into coaching, so she admitted she said she was a bit of a rat bag out there on the field. Were you very conscious of how you were performing out there on the field, trying to set that level for the rest of the competition?
1: Yeah, I'd have to say throughout all my time, that was the most challenging thing. Yeah. Um, by choice of the role I decided to take on comes with comes with that comes with the responsibility and um you know i felt that i would get scrutinized a lot more and that comes with the territory as i said Mm. and i knew what position i was in but yeah that was probably one of the most challenging times um where you'd have to conduct yourself and Mm. and and also being associated with a club i mean Mm. i formed a club i was a president and i was playing it's like you know you don't see that in in any community sport at the moment in footy as such so yeah that was difficult so i just had to make sure that i was um Know, making decisions that were, were best for the sport and I'm pretty comfortable with um, with the decisions I have made in the past.
0: A couple of years ago, um, some of the St Normans girls decided to pack up shop and some of them went off to St Kilda, some to other clubs as well. Was it very difficult during that period to keep the squad together on the park? Because as I said earlier, you've seen other clubs that have just easily fallen to pieces.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was, I would say last year was the toughest year as a to be involved in the Spurs in terms of trying to rebuild, but I think it's a testament of our club how we were able to rebound. Mm. So we say it was the best thing that ever happened to us because we were becoming complacent as a club. We mm. were uh, resting on our um, laurels to actually say, "Yep, no worries. We've got a great team. We've got. We, we're not worried about recruiting, growing the club, pathways." Mm. So what it did is actually forced us to review what we're doing as a club. And whilst we're not showing it on the scoreboard yet, mm. we're pretty comfortable as a club where we're at and where we're heading. So yeah, that was that was tough. Um, didn't help us that the league changed the yeah. clearance rules. Yep. You know, for the first time in, you know, 15 years. And I think now um, they probably need to re-look at the um, clearance rules because if you actually look at the um, top four teams and the top bottom teams of Premier Division football, there's no. we, we need to look at equalisation. Um, Darabin are beating the second-best team by 100 points. That's no good for anyone.
0: Indeed. We're looking at here at the moment where as much as your Premier Division side has been competitive, sitting fifth, the uh, the Division One side has been struggling at the bottom of the table. How hard is it? Speak to those girls out there today and keep the faith that when they look at the scoreboard and it's not looking that great. How do you how do you tell them to keep going? It will improve.
1: Well, again, it just comes down to club culture. It comes down to um, being part of and being proud to pull on the red and blue jumper. We all like to win, no doubt. But certainly, they understand where we're at. Our, our three-year plan was to develop and get competitive in the seniors which I think we've done we've got obviously more work to do um, and our, our next challenge is next year and the years beyond is to build youth girls and the reserves team now let's not forget that next year we're going to have eight to ten youth girls come up mm-hmm. of which have played th- three of them of which have played state footy so it can change very quickly the way and the scoreboard. So, um, you know, I think it's just important that... Um, and, and you've got to, you've got to understand, I mean, there was 15 premiership... 15 players, senior players, that left us last year. Yeah, to, to rebound and, and recover, I think, is an amazing effort and is testament to the people we've got at our club.
0: 300th game today. You're nearing the end. Did you get the butterflies in the belly at this stage, thinking the end's coming?
1: No, I'm pretty comfortable that um, it's the end. I'm looking forward to it, to be quite honest. Um, I think everyone else is making me nervous today with um, (laughs) all the lovely messages and people have been so, um, you know, really nice to to thank me and also congratulate me. So, um, But, yeah, I'm really comfortable. I think, you know, I've been in the game for 23 years. You've got to know when to go. Um, My passion lies in developing the game. I'm really keen to continue the Melbourne and Western Bulldogs AFL game, but also continue to grow grassroots football and coaching as well. I think we need to really look at how we get some more, develop our current coaches, but how do we get some other great coaches into our sport.
0: And Debbie, before we let you go, who are those people, the friends and families behind the scene that gets you out onto the park and keeps you going?
1: Um, Yeah, it's funny. uh, People ask, what is your motivation? And I've got to say that my motivation is the Spurs i mean um and challenges um obviously throughout my journey i've been through lots of different challenges and i think that drives me and and you know ticks the boxes and and makes me um determined but also uh, mum and dad and my family and my brothers and my friends and my workmates. I mean, oh, it's amazing how much support I actually have, and you don't actually realise uh, un- until occasion today.
0: Yeah, in that case, what did happen to that chocolate cake that we saw tweeted on Friday? <laughs> yes, yeah, so well, that was uh, <laughs> that
1: was quite embarrassing. I actually went into work, and um, they uh, pulled together a uh, a video footage, and they got my favourite player, Timmy Watson. They had Paul Ruse. They had. Um, David Neitz, they had Lyndon Dunn, a current Melbourne player who sent some nice messages yeah. and that's when it probably all started, when really I thought, hard. oh, I'm just going to play my 300th on yeah. Saturday and then from that moment, we got some momentum, I thought, oh, geez, everyone's <laughs> um, getting right into this. Uh, yeah, so that was really, really nice. Melbourne Footy Club is a great supporter of um, women's footy and me personally and um, I think we're very lucky to have an AFL club who's genuinely supportive of um women in footy.
0: You're listening to the second best of edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Our next interview takes us to North America and the Women's Director of the US AFL. Andrea Casillas, of course a player with the New York Magpies and the USA Freedom, who of course will be heading to Melbourne in August 2017 for the International Cup. Uh, when we spoke to Andrea, this was just before the Parallel Cup, before they took on uh, Canada down in uh, Florida uh, and also in this 2015 interview, it was before the Nationals in uh, Austin, Texas and before Jessica Wichner uh, went across to uh, Boston to help them out for a couple of months. So we're talking about the development of women's football in the USA NFL, which we knew got a massive shot in the arm in 2016 at the Florida Nationals with uh, San Francisco winning their first ever Division One title, uh, eight women's teams performing, and of course, every match that was live streamed. So women's football going great guns in the USA. This was our interview a year and a half ago with Andrea, and we started off by asking her um, how she got involved in Aussie Rules football. Oh,
2: wow. So it happened about 10 years ago. I was, uh, I was living in Arizona at the time. I actually grew up in Arizona and um, a friend had wanted to start a women's team. Um, his wife was playing, um, and he just thought it would be really cool to have an, a women's component to the Arizona Hawks. Uh, he tried. He tried convincing me for a few months, and finally I relented and went to a training and just had the best time. And then I kept on going to trainings, and they somehow convinced me to attend the U.S. ASL Nationals um, and my first game was at a national tournament, <laughs> and it's stuck ever since. So when I moved to New York City, um, my friend Christina Licata, she and I uh, co-founded the New York uh, Magpies, the women's team here.
0: And how difficult is it to start a new Aussie rules side uh, overseas? I mean, obviously, it's a little bit easier here in Australia because essentially Cricket Ovals double up as football grounds, so it's it's pretty easy to find a space and start up a club. How difficult is it to do that overseas? You
2: know, it, it, it's probably as difficult as it sounds. Um, there was already a men's team that has been established, but not a lot of Australian women were playing at that time. It was oh, probably about eight years ago. Um, so when Christina and I knew we were moving to New York, um, we saw the New York men's team at the nationals previous to our move and told them, oh, we'll be there. We're going to start a women's team. And they all just kind of, kind of laughed and, you know, oh, cool. We'll see you there. Um, and then their first day of training, we showed up and they were, <laughs> they were very surprised. Um, but it, I mean, it, the challenge is both at the time convincing Australian women to play. And that Australian women would play, and then also getting American women to try a sport that they had never heard of. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit challenging, but it it brings out a whole a, a really interesting type of person. Someone that's interested in trying a new game. Someone who isn't afraid of the word tackling. Um, and usually that means that you get a bunch of women who are who are athletic, adventurous. Um, and pretty much leaders in their own respective areas <laughs> in life.
0: <laughs> and you're now obviously director of the USAFL for uh, for women. Now, how, did, how did you come into that role?
2: So um, the, my predecessor, Kat Hogg, she uh, she was the first director and probably, I mean, she wouldn't claim to be the founder of Women's Footy in the U.S., but definitely one of the founders. Um, and so just as... Uh, far as my involvement she kind of recruited me after the 2009 tour um in australia and kind of went from there and it's just been one of those things where um the the amount of women the excitement of women wanting to get involved and especially get involved with their club um, has been really has been really motivating and just to see the how 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 quickly women are willing to chip in and uh and help out is great so it's been a really I've been really fortunate to be a women's director
0: uh, Currently, at the moment how many women's sides are there across the USA and, and how often are they able to get together and play competitive matches?
2: Right so there are probably about 10 women's sides I would say 10 to 15 uh, but there are various sizes so I our largest team would be the Minnesota Freeze uh, and they actually have two women's sides uh, that is Nothing. (laughs) No one else has been able to do that yet. But we also have smaller teams that range from anywhere between five to ten. So we play each other pretty frequently. Um, We try to keep the traveling at a minimum. So most players or most teams will travel within their region. Um, But this year, the USAFL has held regional tournaments. So. There's a Western Regional Tournament, Central Regional Tournament, Eastern Regional Tournament where all the teams can kind of get together and mitigate that travelling and the costs associated. And then uh, we see each other at our national tournament in October.
0: And uh, how important is it um, uh, for the development of women's football in the USA to have sides like last year, the St. Auburn Spurs from Victoria uh, come across and tour throughout the country?
2: You know, it, it's really important. And... Um, I I think that it's it's hard to translate uh, the level of play that the the freedom or the representative teams from the various countries see when they travel to Australia. Uh, so to get a team like St Albans to come and play plays the US teams in in whatever capacity. I mean, we weren't anticipating that any of the US teams would beat St Albans, but we were hoping that all the women's teams and all the players who didn't have the opportunity to play on the freedom at the IC, um, we, were, we were hoping that they would just see the level of play and understand that everyone's kind of push up their game a little bit more. And uh, it, it, it paid in, in, in stays for us just because, I mean, some of our rucks never knew you could run up and jumped to the ball. They just thought you had to stand underneath the ball to rock. And just various little things that they picked up um, that more experienced players like myself or other women that have been around for a while, they know, but these are things that we don't think to teach because these are things that we just kind of take for granted as instead of knowing. So, yeah, having St. Albans was great. um, And it was just a wonderful, positive experience, I think, for both, both the
0: U.S. and St. Albans. With the rapid development of social media, um, obviously the internet over the last 15 years, particularly with YouTube and now Twitter and Facebook, how easier has it been to get the message out there and spread the gospel of women's Aussie rules?
2: Yeah, you know, it's really easy to get get the message and it's really easy to get the support. Um, But there's still that little cliff as far as Getting people to actually participate um, because they see all these women doing these amazing things and associate it with something that they do versus something or versus versus something that the person can actually do themselves. So, I mean, convincing someone that they could also mark a footy um, on the run or they can take a tackle or uh, kick the ball however far um, is is still a little bit of a of a myth that we have to get over, but it's easier in the sense of uh, uh, creating the community that we want to create, and that ends up drawing out more people uh, than
0: I think we could ever expect. We talk about, obviously, um, senior women's footy, but how has Aussie Rules also been developing in the U.S. at a junior level, or as we call over here in Australia, youth girls level, those under 18?
2: Yeah, you know, I think that's something that we're still lacking and something that we need to work on. Um, we do have one youth league in Baltimore, and I think that's been going for about 10 years. Um, and they, they have really great numbers. But this is the one thing that uh, I've seen, at least in my participation with the, with the league, is that there are we need to get more people involved in running these kinds of things because um, the people that are already running – um, aspects, whether it's admin aspects or helping run a club, there's only so much they can do, <laughs> especially since no one's getting paid. Um, so, getting the youth involved uh, would be something that I think it has to be our next goal. Um, I know various clubs do go and participate in some kind of um, kids kids physical education day or something. Uh, across the U.S., and I know New York has done it several times with uh, the Australian community that we have here, but really establishing some kind of junior league, I think, has to be our next goal.
0: Uh, obviously, uh, this year, the Canadians uh, sent across uh, two of their players in uh, Kendra Heil and uh, Amy Legault, um, who are playing currently now in uh, Melbourne before Amy uh, had a knee injury. They, they were hoping they had their names up in the AFL women's draft and were very unlucky not to get uh, selected. Um, how far do you think away that the USA might be to sending across one or two players to play uh, competition football in Melbourne and hope that they get selected for one of these AFL exhibition matches or possibly from 2017 onwards the uh, actual Women's National League Right,
2: right Uh, You know first of all just having Amy and Kendra there was was (laughs) such an awesome thing to see I know both of them off the field and I can't uh, I can't begin to say how proud I am of them for even even going and giving it a go but just to be a contender in that draft. Is so amazing, um, and I actually think having them there to having them there representing just international women in general, uh, I think really helps and it really sets the stage and uh, the the level that players should expect to be playing if they're if they're even thinking about playing on the competitive level. Um, but before that, we do want to, and we are we do have a couple players there. Um, just trying to get more experience Um, and we have had a couple actually we've had one that just returned and she ended up uh, transitioning from the Liberty to the freedom so the more experience that we can get we're we're happy to send players there and happy to support them however we can Um, and I think the ultimate goal would would be to participate in whatever drafts or whatever competitive level that we
0: can get them at. I'm Peter Holden, and you are listening to the second Best of Edition of the GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast. Now, our next interview coming up was recorded back in 2015, and we dedicated a half-hour special to it, just this one interviewee. And I do want to say for the record that uh, in my day job, I've interviewed the likes of Malcolm Turnbull... Julia Gillard, I've interviewed state premiers, state government ministers, federal government ministers, uh, companies, CEOs, heads of charities, a lot of important people. And this interview that I did, I regard as my best simply because of the interviewee and the amazing story that she had to tell. And it came to me as no surprise when ABC TV decided to do a half-hour Australian story special on her alongside Moana Hope. Her name is Susan Alberti, the former vice-president of the Western Bulldogs. And let's just begin at the very start of this uh, special interview when I flash back to her childhood when she was born, 1947, in Bansdale in Gippsland, Victoria. And I posed the question, didn't you as a young girl love your footy? Mm-hmm,
3: I certainly did. I was born in Bensdale. My father had just come out uh, out of the war and he'd joined the police force. And um, I was born in Bensdale, but I only spent a few years in Bensdale before we came to the city where dad took up a job as a policeman. But I think the first time I picked up a football, I probably was about five, maybe five or six, uh, when my brother was kicking the football around the backyard. And I just wanted to be perhaps as good as him and uh, thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So that's where it all started in the backyard.
0: From there, was there an instant attraction to the Bulldogs?
3: Uh, Yes and no. Uh, My father was a um, North Melbourne shinboner supporter because he was stationed there as a policeman in North Melbourne and he wanted me to barrack for North Melbourne and I guess the rebel that I was, and I still am, I decided I didn't like blue and white. It's a very simple um, explanation as to why I barracked for the Bulldogs. I happen to love the red, white and blue colours. And uh, I, and the only way I was allowed to go to the football was on the condition that my father dropped me off with my brother at the uh, Western Oval, as it was known then and picked up, and also that I had to join the cheer squad because he felt it was a safe environment to be with all those other supporters. And, of course, it still is a very safe environment. So that's the reason why I barrack for the red, white and blue, because I happened to like the colours at a very early age.
0: And just ironically, with yourself being born in Bernsdale, that Gippsland region used to be the old Bulldogs recruiting zone.
3: Exactly. It's just an absolute coincidence. We've had Choco Royal come from there and many other famous footballers, so they must breed them well down there.
0: And, of course, you grew up in an era where, uh, for young women, um, you obviously couldn't play football. Um, you, you had to stop by a certain age.
3: Well, the reason why I, I desperately wanted to play football, but girls didn't necessarily play it, but as cheer squads, and the few cheer squads that were around at the time, bearing in mind this is, you know, very... Uh, it's 60 years ago approximately, or 55 years ago, we decided as cheer squads to play against one another, but it was mixed teams, and um, we would play on a Sunday afternoon, because obviously football was only on a Saturday Saturday afternoon, and um, then the Sunday we would uh, have mixed games, but I got to a stage, and my father also at the same time was a, a football umpire, and then my brother started training as a football umpire, and Dad could see I was being knocked around terribly, because I'd get in and under just like any male, because I was fierce to get the ball, and he said, this is ridiculous, I was nearly 15, he said, you cannot play this anymore, you're getting too knocked around, although I protested and wanted to keep going, but there was nowhere to go at that particular time that I was aware of, so I had to hang up my boots at the ripe old age of 15, and couldn't play anymore.
0: I guess one thing to your advantage is in the era that you, do, that you did grow up in, it was a golden age for the Bulldogs, it was, it was the only premiership in 54, but you had such players as Sutton, Witten, yes. and Jack Collins. Yes.
3: And uh, Jack Collins was an absolute idol of mine, as was Charlie Sutton. But the person I most of all, but he was 1960, that was John Schultz. He's always been my hero. He's a beautiful man. He's a gentleman, great, greatly skilled, um, just a damn good footballer. And he was really my hero, I guess you could say, in that era. But certainly Charlie Sutton and Jack Collins and all of those guys, they were just amazing.
0: And it wasn't too long after that, you obviously moved into the business world where you started with the uh, Danzu uh, group. Uh, what was it like as, as a woman back in the 60s and 70s entering the corporate world?
3: Well, it was not easy because it was the building industry and that was fiercely dominated by men. It was the last ma- bastion of male dominance and um, women were unheard of being in that industry. And um, I, I, you know, it was, it, I was sort of working seven days a week. To We were young, a couple trying to build up a business. Um, during that time, my husband had terrible accidents. A- accidents, I say plural, because I um, uh, had a stick go through his eye only three months after we were married. And of course, I had to keep the business going whilst he was in and out of hospital. So we're trying to build a business. We we're, were working seven days a week. In fact, we had more than one business. We had three businesses going at the same time. So to me, it was like being on a merry-go-round uh, for quite some time. But I could see there was opportunity and I was prepared to Put in and work hard, and um, I guess the results have shown what working hard can do for you, no matter what you do. Uh,
0: over the lifetime, you were lucky enough to uh, ha- have a daughter, and Danielle, but uh, she was diagnosed young, wasn't she, with uh, type yes. 1 diabetes?
3: She, when she was the absolute joy of our lives, she was a beautiful baby, she was absolutely perfect in every way and uh, never had a sickness, and um, she was good at school, she was good at sport, uh, and then at the age of 12, all of a sudden, she was hit by type 1 diabetes. through no fault of her own. It's an autoimmune disease which affects the pancreas and it stops working forever for life. And there was no cure um, for diabetes or type 1 diabetes, but it's all the same diabetes, uh, because the complications are exactly the same. But type 1, children usually get it, and it's through no fault of their own. So I embarked upon another period of my life where I was determined to help her. uh, And I'm a, a restless person, I need solutions and I need readily available solutions so um, onto the phone I went and uh, we didn't have computers back then Uh, they were just coming in and all I had was yellow pages white pages to discover any research two researchers in this country were um, doing research into the disease
0: unfortunately uh, she would pass away um, on a flight I believe back from uh, the US
3: yes Yes. Danielle had done very well at school she'd been to Melbourne University then did a Masters in America But Danielle kept a lot from me because unfortunately her dad had been killed in a dreadful accident or he died after three weeks of intensive care. And they often say you can die of a broken heart, which I would never have believed, but I really do believe that's what impacted on my daughter. She was extremely close to her dad. They were just unbelievably together. And he was, unfortunately, he died and we had to turn off the machines because there was just no hope. So she took off and went to America and I think um her health deteriorated because of that. And because I had such a large business and I was trying to do everything, she wanted to protect her mother, the most beautiful young woman, to protect her mother from uh her sickness and, and, and the worries and what she was facing, losing her eyesight and then her kidneys started to fail and um and at the first I knew that she was really sick, although we talked daily every day when she was in New York, was when her doctor phoned me, her kidney specialist said, I think you better get over here, your daughter's very ill. So of course with that, you know, you jump on the first plane over to New York.
0: With, with the passing of uh, your first husband, Angelo, and Danielle, um, mm-hmm. how did you find the strength to stay in the corporate world, stay in the public eye, when uh, for anyone going through such a loss, it'd be very easy to, to shy away from the world and in fact become a recluse?
3: Well, during that year, my mother died, my husband died, and my daughter died. And I thought, my God, what else is going to happen? But the thing is, we had a lot of employees, you know, many hundreds of employees. And I felt that I owed them. Uh, they looked to me for their um, income, pay off their mortgages, et etc. Mm-hmm. et cetera. And I felt I had a, such a strong responsibility to look after all those people because I know my husband would have done exactly the same if anything had happened to me. So I wanted to m- ensure um and i guess um that's where the um, determination kicked in to ensure that each and every one of those employees were had alternate work when i eventually scaled down but i had to scale down up to 10 years so i kept going and going and going but throughout that whole process whilst i was you know uh, keeping the business going and and uh, the developments going and i had to go back to school and get my license. At that particular time, I think I was the only woman who had a builder's licence, I stand to be corrected now, but back in those days, which was a long time ago, I was the only female. So I just kept on going and going and going and saying to myself, you mustn't get sick, you mustn't get sick. You've got too many responsibilities and my husband would have looked after all his employees, which is what he always did. They came first. He always cared about his men and women who worked for him. So at that time too, I would then... Um, fronted up to the doctor one day and I was diagnosed with cancer so um, it just was one thing after another and you say how did I bounce back well I had two choices you know life or death up or down and having um, developed calluses throughout my business career and all the knocks you have when you're in business I guess I was a stronger person for it that I, uh, I was able to to, uh, to again face adversity
0: and you managed to do so in an extraordinary way by starting your own medical research fund, the Susan Alberti yes, Medical right. Research yes, Fund. Yes. Um, what were those early days like? Was it an easy process or was it, was it difficult to try and get it off the ground?
3: Extremely difficult. I was national president of an organisation for 23 years. I was one of the founders who got that up and going. and. We then became affiliated with an international organisation. It was very tough. Um, Type 1 diabetes was really not something you talked about. People understood. They still don't understand it, that it's not because kids eat too many lollies or the bad lifestyle or lack of exercise. It's just an autoimmune disease which attacks the pancreas. So I thought, I owe this to my daughter and to all the other kids out there, that um, we need to try and find a solution to this insidious disease. So I started knocking on doors and knocking on government doors and um, again, when you've been in the building industry, it's a tough industry and when you're a woman, it's even tougher and I was determined I was going to get uh, interest uh, from government and people out there in the community to say, yeah, this is a terrible disease, we've got to get behind it and support it. So uh, it's just taken me nearly 35 years and um, I'm still at it and I'm not giving up.
0: Yeah, you've started various things along the way as well, as we mentioned, uh, things like Walk for a Cure, and in yes. fact, this year, the the signature ball as well.
3: Yes, well, it's my 30th year. I'm not going to say celebrate, because you can't celebrate. We're going to commemorate 30 years. I remember my first ball where I had about 80 people, and I thought I was pretty smart having 80 people, um, but it's developed over the years to a huge gala event. It's a first-class um, evening, and uh, we actually got Julie Bishop coming this year, and um, I've got Tina Arena coming from Paris to perform. So it's, it's a first-class event. But nevertheless, the message there is I'm raising funds for three institutes, three of the finest here in Melbourne, Wehi, Baker IDI and St Vincent's Institute, where I, I chair St Vincent's Institute, their foundation. I have done so for the last 14 years. So I've brought three institutes together because my philosophy is if you can um, collaborate in science, we can collaborate in fundraising, and it's been a really great success. This is my third year doing that with the three institutes, plus I do other things throughout the year.
0: Can you tell us a little more about the St. Vincent's Institute, which of course has their logo on the front of the Western Bulldogs women's jumpers?
3: Correct. Whilst um, they are peer to the sponsors, that's something that I underwrite and pay for, because um, St. So Vincent's Institute is a hidden jewel in Melbourne. It's not one of the larger institutes, but it's grown double in in the last 10 years uh, that were just about bursting at the seams, and uh, there'll be things happening there as well. But St Vincent's not only um, investigate um, type 1 and type 2 diabetes, they investigate six or seven other diseases, osteoporosis, heart disease, cancer of the bone, cancer. And it's ironical that I am chairman of that institute because... um, back in 2005 when I was diagnosed with cancer I didn't realize I'd be on the other side of the desk looking to those researchers to say guys please and women and 60% of researchers are women by the way um, please save my life I've got a 50-50 chance and that's exactly what they did for me um, not just for me only they do it for everybody I'm nothing special but um, I'd been helping them for so many years and all of a sudden I was hit hard Uh, with uh, cancer and not long after that um, I then was rushed to hospital with uh, five blockages in my heart um, and I had open-heart surgery so it was one thing after another.
0: And and I was told by Lisa Kato to try and improve your health you've recently lost as much as 47 kilos.
3: 50 actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well look you know when you're kidney specialist because my kidneys failed in intensive care I was in intensive care for a couple of weeks I was a very sick girl And the kidney specialist laid it on the line to me and said, do you want to live a bit longer? You've got too much to do, uh, too many things to achieve in your life. If this is the way you want to go, Uh, she really gave me the rounds of the kitchen, uh, a woman. And I thought, on the 4th of June last year, that's it. Things are changing. Um, And as I said before earlier on, I'm determined. And I have. I've worked hard at it for 14 months and I have lost 50 kilos, because I can assure you that, because I was weighed by my doctor last Thursday, or just last week, and I, he's actually gobsmacked as, as to <laughs> what I've done. But like everything, I don't do things by halves. Um, I, I stick at it, and I've never felt happier and healthier in my whole life.
0: Going back to the early 2000s, you uh, came onto the board of the Western Bulldogs, your beloved doggies, yeah. um, how did that happen? Who approached you to come onto the board?
3: Well, Obviously, I was in the cheer squad, and I think I'm one of the first female... or the only, maybe the only director in the AFL who's actually come from the cheer squad. In 1996, we formed a task force, the Bulldogs did, and I was invited to join that task force because things were not travelling too well at the Bulldogs, and we had to do something very serious to get this club back in order and as a competitive club. So I was the only woman at the time, and uh, they were all men, and they were fabulous men, so we formed the task force, including David Smorgan and Rick Kennedy and Alan Johnson and all those terrific blokes. And I guess it was a progression that we got to 2004 and I was invited to join the board of the Bulldogs. However, there was a caveat there. I had to become involved and we all got jobs on the board. It's not just a cushy little job with your name there. For the redevelopment of the Whitten Noble, well, we had to raise $32 million. And of course, that was my job get out there and help and help raise that money. Uh obviously helped by the the CEO at the time Campbell Rose, a brilliant guy. We worked very closely together. So I joined the board in 2004. And that throughout that period of time, I was very busy helping to raise the money and, and all the naysayers said we couldn't do it, it was impossible in the west of Melbourne. Well guess what? We did it. And we've got a fabulous redevelopment now and it's ongoing. I'm still involved with that. I'm now involved with the bequest society where you know where people if they wish they can leave money in trust. Uh there are trustees there looking after that. I'm involved as a trustee. So then in 2012 I went to election um to and I was nominated as vice president. Uh or well, Peter and I we met um and I became vice president in 2012 and have been in that role since 2012. But however, I haven't slackened off with any of my work that I do for the club and the expectations are there that anyone is on that board, they've got a job to do and they're expected to fulfil that job.
0: And with that role as well, you've been given the title of President of Footscray VFL, yes. which had a tremendous first season back in the competition, well, winning the Premiership.
3: I keep telling Peter Gordon, well, listen, Peter, I'm President of Footscray. What are you doing? You know, we won the <laughs> Premiership. I'm now the President. Look at look at the results for having a woman. No, we just joke all the time. But, yes, it's been a, a great um, move by the club, stand-alone. Um, and it's also so beneficial to the senior team as well. You know, we've got such depth in the Footscray, such depth in, the, uh, in our senior team. So, yeah, look, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, as they say, but, um, you know, having such depth, it makes a big difference, yes. And being president, I'm very honoured.
0: Turning our focus to women's football, I believe it was about two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. You mm. were first introduced to the Victorian Women's Football yes. League. How did that come about?
3: Look, I was watching from afar for a long time, and I happened Debbie Lee, who's a wonderful woman. She was the community officer at the Bulldogs, and then she moved over to Melbourne. and We got chatting one day, and she said, "I said, gee, Debbie, I wished I hadn't had those opportunities to play." And she said, "Oh, well, this is all happening." Uh, would you like to come and have a look? And I did a bit of investigation, as I always do. I researched the researchers, when in medicine and medical research. So I researched what the women were doing. And I thought, like, wow, these people are pretty good. So I went along to a luncheon, and I was so impressed with the standard of the game. And I'd already been thinking about, I'm going to help these women. They really do need some help. So I went to a luncheon. I think I may have spoken at it. I can't remember. It goes back a fair while. And I thought, these women need support. Um, because they are good. They're damn good. So I decided to write them out a check, get them started, and I've been an advocate ever since. And, um, and to be quite frank, I was just a little bit jealous that I didn't have that around when I was growing up, that I had somewhere that I could go to and become part of a club and, and, and develop my skills and, and move on and, and, and to, to be part of a team. I missed it so much. So I wanted to give these young women an opportunity, and I'm only one person, and I tried to make a small difference at that time.
0: It was an extraordinary donation. I heard it was $25,000, which allowed them to employ their first-ever full-time operations manager.
3: That's correct, and that gave me enormous satisfaction. And I've I, I, Look, I, they don't realise, but I watch them from afar all the time. I watch all the girls, watch all the teams, see how they're going, and um, I love mixing with them too. They're terrific women. They're so dedicated, and the thing that really... Um, impressed me was that they were not getting paid at the time although maybe that'll that'll probably change but they did it for the love of the game and they're so skilled um it just you've got to see it i'm sure you do peter but the community must get and see these women and see how hard they train how hard they play and how damn good they are uh, and i'll probably go to my grave saying that um just how good these women are
0: do Do you recall the original discussions between the bulldogs and Melbournes that 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 saw that first game begin three years ago?
3: I don't recall everything, but all I can say is on behalf of my club, I had absolute total one hundred percent support for women playing football, and it continues to this day. I have a president and a board who are absolutely one hundred percent behind women's football. Um, it's so important uh, as, as you know part of the fabric of our club at the Western Bulldogs. Melbourne, I'm sure, feel the same way, but I really can't speak on behalf of that club.
0: It's an interesting time as well where I was, I was about to bring up and I was doing my research yesterday about um, we spoke to Sam Lane the age earlier this year saying that the likes of Dorothy Hisgrove who uh, was the uh, AFL senior executive needed support. And then over the last 24 hours, uh, Dorothy has resigned. So I guess from your point of view now, um, who is there at a higher level championing the women's football cause within the AFL headquarters?
3: Well, Dorothy I have actually met with, and as I said, I was quoted in a newspaper a few months ago, that she's an absolute dynamo. She is and was a dynamo and working extremely hard with not not as many resources as I think she should have had. But um, it it is really disappointing. I'm very sad to see what's happened in the last 24 hours. I'm sure the AFL are going to um, uh, look at this very seriously. They know that it's a big component of the game And they're going to address this. And look, as I said, Gillen listens. He really does. Uh, In the times I've had discussions with him, he listens to, um, uh, he's listened to my concerns and the need for the women in football. And I'm sure it's going to be addressed and addressed very seriously. That, you know, someone like Dorothy, we must replace with someone like Dorothy and perhaps more resources than what we've been given thus far. But nevertheless, I'll be out there championing women and women's football, no matter what.
0: Have the AFL taken time aside to speak with the Bulldogs about how the success has been going so far with the women's side and about your input about how you think things should move forward?
3: Well, I'm sure that's an ongoing um, process with the club. Um, I know that we have regular discussions with the AFL and and they they acknowledge this is an important component of our game and for the growth of our game. And as I keep saying um, myself, privately and uh, personally, is we're going to miss out if we don't address this quickly because soccer is such an attractive sport and, um, and, and, and we'll lose out to soccer if we're not um, smart uh, in, in our approach to women and women playing football.
0: You obviously have your ear to the ground uh, in the corporate world. Uh, uh, what are they saying about women's football?
3: Well, the, the people that I mix with are, are very supportive very uh, encouraging to me personally. They see it as a growth area of the AFL, something we must not ignore, and the AFL are not doing that. They're not ignoring it. They acknowledge it. I know that. That is a growth area of AFL, and we must get behind our women and support them. So the corporate world, the ones that I mix with, supportive, very supportive.
0: And finally before we let you go Susan sure. uh, obviously it's a history making moment on on Sunday August 16th it's oh, yes. the first televised uh, women's football yes. match um how's it, how important is it not only people at obviously at home watching the game but there being a big crowd in the stands to show that color and to show the support of the girls and, and not just empty seats
3: Well to me I can't tell you how how important that is that people must and should get along and watch these talented women they will see i mean last year um i I was away overseas in the may game unfortunately but don't worry i had my ear to the ground i was up in the middle of the night but last year at eddie had i mean that spectacular mark that that melbourne player took i mean i had our bulldog players they're supposed to have been in the rooms getting ready and i walked around the boundary there and they were out watching the women they said gee sue I didn't know they were this good. I said, yes, guys, they could take your job. They could show you how to play football. So, look, it's really important. They don't want to, women don't want to play against men and vice versa. But they've got, we, don't want to be seen, we don't want to be seen as saying, oh, we're better. We're not better. We're just different. And you need to get along there. The people, the community need to get along there and see these women and just see how damn good they are. And they, I'm sure they'll change their opinion if they've they've never been before, that women are playing against women and they are damn good.
0: Susan, thank you very much for joining us here on the com podcast. And as we let you go, again, a reminder about 22nd of August and the City ball for the Susan Alberti uh, Medical Research Foundation. Obviously, if if people can't make it along, is there a way that they can donate or show their support?
3: Yes, they can. They can go to my website, Susan Alberti Medical Research Foundation. Just go there and you'll see all the information. My office is always happy to talk to anyone, but... um, You're helping type 1 diabetes research. The three institutes, what they do, I won't keep you much longer, but we treat, prevent and cure. Those three institutes do all of the above. So it's not just about finding a cure. It's about treating, preventing and curing. And that's what I'm on about. I just want to make a difference in the community, just like I want to do with women's football. And to the girls that may be listening, to the women who may be listening, go girls, you are Very, very talented.
0: You're listening to the second best of edition of the com podcast, our Legends special. The Great Britain Swans were formed in 2015-2016 to prepare for the International Cup of 2017, pulling women from London and from the Scottish League putting them together to see if they could be competitive against the likes of the USA, Canada and the 2011 International Cup champions and 2014 runners-up being uh, the Irish Banshees. And boy, did the Swans make an impact at the European Championships of 2016, easily swatting aside the European Crusaders and defeating the Irish Banshees for the title – Boy, oh boy, could they cause a stir in 2017 in Melbourne. And I had the honour of interviewing, just before the European Championships, the first ever captain of the Great Britain Swans, her name, Laura Turner. And like what we do with all women who play Aussie rules outside of Australia, we ask the question, how did she get involved in Aussie rules football?
4: Well, um, I visited Australia for a year. I spent a year out there working, took a year out of my job. Um, And while I was over there, I thought, I'm a soccer player. I thought, I don't want to play soccer. I want to try something new, try a a traditional Australian game. And went and watched the game and thought, oh, blimey, that looks like fun, but it also looks a bit brutal. Um, So I went along and started training with the Sydney Uni Bombers team, who were just fantastic. Um, Really very, very welcoming um, and loved it. Fell in love with it immediately as soon as I did my first training session.
0: And of course, you headed back home to the UK. Uh, what year was that, and, and when did you start to get involved in the uh, women's football movement in uh, AFL London? Which, of course, it's only been the second year of the competition there.
5: Yeah, that's right. So, um,
4: came back in oh, I think it was 2014, two years ago. Um, and as I came back, just before I left, one of the girls said to me, "Oh, you should look at playing Aussie rules in the UK." And I laughed and said, "Oh, no, I can't imagine there's anybody that you know that's up for playing in the UK." She said, "Oh no, I'll have a look around." So coincidentally, there were at the very same time we came back, um, there was a guy called Ian Baxter who was looking to set up an England uh, Vixens team um, to try and get some people playing. And at that time, they were just starting to, to set up the London uh, Aussie Rules League in London. Um, so it, I came back at absolutely the right time where it was all starting to take off, really. Um, so then met a few people through that, started networking started to get all my friends involved, so I, I sort of basically badgered my uh, my soccer team girls who I thought would be good. I said, come on, come and try this game. I think you really like it, and they did. They loved it. Um, so now there's a sort of a small group where I'm from, and we, we live quite far away from London, so we play in the London League. That's just finished. We made it to the grand final this year with my uh, uh, my team, the North London Lions. Um, unfortunately, we wouldn't win, but um, it's just been it's just really great preparation now for going into the tournament.
0: Because course, there's been a big step in the AFL London women's competition, uh, starting from four teams last year, carried on with four teams this year, but all sides now being able to play 18 a side. Um, how important is that, obviously, for the Great Britain team going forward, not only through these championships, but when the International Cup comes around next year, of having that experience of playing the proper 18 a side games?
4: Oh, it's just been it's just been phenomenal. The rate at which it's growing it's just it's huge. It's brilliant because a lot of the girls. I mean, I've played um, eighteen-a-side when we were over in Australia, um, but a lot of the girls have, have no idea. They've you know they've not played the game. They don't know the differences between playing the small-sided games and playing training. Um, so it's just been a fantastic preparation. I mean, there's a, and also in that league there are a huge number of Aussies and Kiwis as well, particularly um, who obviously have played before. Who've seen the games. Who've watched the game back at home. Um, so playing and training with them has boosted our standards so much. It's just been absolutely brilliant. Playing at club level with those girls, is just taking the GB Swans from strength to strength. It's really, really fantastic. And of course, the International Cup next year is the dream that we're hoping to uh, to get all the squad to, yeah.
0: Uh, Of course, as you said, you played in in Sydney first before obviously playing in the AFL London League. How do you personally find the standard of the London competition compared to what you played in Sydney?
5: Well, I think you can tell that a lot of the girls
4: um, have, have been playing for a lot longer. Um, when, you, when I was in Sydney, you know, they have a lot more. They do have a lot more experience, and also the understanding of the game. Like I said, they're around it, they're in it. It's everywhere in Australia, as you know. So people are watching it. They're a lot more familiar with um, with the game itself. Um, but the London League is absolutely developing. I'd say I'd say it was. It wasn't. But it depends on the team because, you know, there are certain teams within the league who are very, very, very strong, who are playing some excellent football. And the other teams, the league this year, like you said, we've now fielding 18 a side for every game as opposed to last year where there were times when, you know, they couldn't get that side and we were playing with much smaller size games, um, which, you know, which wasn't quite as good. Um, so everybody's learning a lot from just being around those better players. And I can imagine that next year... The league's going to be even stronger. I'm hoping that we can attract some girls um, who are going to, you know, who hear about the the league in London, who are thinking, "Oh, I'm going to go traveling in Europe. Maybe I'll base myself in London and find one of those teams who are going to keep having that input." You know, the nature of having um, the Aussie girls and and the Kiwis is that quite often they're only around for short periods. You know, we're trying to make that league sustainable, and we're also trying to get homegrown talent. You know, you know the English girls into playing as well. Um, That's that's the long-term goal.
0: You mentioned originally being involved with the uh, England Vixens. Did you have the opportunity to tour with them and play in the AFL uh, Euro Cup, which of course is the Niner side version?
4: Yeah, i played the last two years. So I've been captain for the England Vixens the last two years. Um, when we played in, in London two years ago and in Croatia last year, which was brilliant. So we got silver two years ago and we got the gold uh, last year. We won, the, we won the cup last year, which was just an amazing experience. And, and that, that sort of really being involved in that has just cemented why i love the sport so much you know the people you meet I've, i've played team sports all my life you know soccer netball hockey all those types of things but and i love those i still play soccer now but there's something different about aussie rules it's you know the people and the freedom of the game the game itself is just wonderful it's so open you know, when that ball bounces in soccer, you can pretty much tell where it's going to go. When it bounces and it hits the ground in Aussie rules, it could go anywhere. You know, you can get taps all over the place. It's a lot much freer game, um, and I just love the simplicity of it. But just how you know unpredictable it can be and open it can be. And you, you know, you score a goal in football, it's worth one goal in soccer. Sorry. Um, you know, in, in Aussie rules, you get you, it's a little bit wide and you get one point compared to your six points. It's just, I just love it. It's it's a great. game.
0: Of course, the uh, GB Swans program didn't just start in the last month or two. It's been going for a little while now uh, on purpose to set up for the International Cup in August next year. Uh, how long have you been involved in the Swans program? And what commitment does it take in the way of training and obviously getting the squad together to prepare, first of all, for your first major tournament, this one uh, coming up this weekend? So, so we set
4: up for official tournament. I mean, we entered into the Champions League
5: mm-hmm. um in
4: Amsterdam, which I wasn't involved in that. That was that started up prior to um prior to my involvement. That was before we'd hosted, you know, any training sessions or selections. That was a sort of let's put it out there um and just start you know, start the ball rolling as it were. Uh, we played in the AFL London pre-season Cup as a way of playing together as a team, a bit of a practice training session, getting some people involved, giving them the opportunity. Because we've got you know Scottish girls who live hundreds of miles away, um, who obviously are obviously a part of GB, so it was a great opportunity for them to come down and get some competitive football in an 18 side um, environment. So I guess I've been involved. Oh wow, where are we now? I guess I've been involved for sort of four or five months um, with the GB Swans, But like you said, it's all just about starting it off, and that that goal is the international cup that's what we're all preparing for Training-wise, we've had a couple of training weekends. We've um, had the selection weekend, and um, we've got another couple of things planned in. Um, over, we're, we're going to be doing some tours. We're hoping to go over to Ireland, to play against the team over there, for a bit of a practice match come next year in preparation. So we've we've got things strategically planned in, which is great because it means it gives the girls dates to work towards and, and training sessions that they need to be preparing for. But it takes because we're also spread out for us all to get together to train. It, you know, is is a huge deal. Um, so we have to do a lot of the training um, ourselves, but that's why the London League's great. You know, quite a lot of the girls are playing in that London League. So as soon as that kicks off again, you know, pre-season starting, in, I guess sort of February, March kind of time, um, the girls will all be fighting fit, ready. It's perfect timing for when we will go out to Australia in the summer.
0: A very interesting tournament. It's a three-team tournament where you'll play each other twice. Uh, you've got yeah. the European Crusaders in there, which is a mix of the French, the Scandinavians, and I believe one or two ring in Aussies just to make up numbers. And you've also yeah. got the Irish, who, of course, won International Cup uh, 2011 and were runners-up in 2014. Yeah. It's,
4: it's going to be really tough. And the most difficult thing is you just don't know what to expect. You know, this European Crusaders team are going to be a mixed bag from all over the place but that, the thing about them is we just have no idea what to expect from them you know they're going to have some really strong players like you said they've got a few ringers and Aussies in there who are going to spice things up but the Irish team I mean they have always been consistently very very strong um, we played them when I played for England the Irish, Irish team for a team in two years ago to the Euro Cup and, and they won we came second but they beat us in the final but it was very 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 close now a lot of the girls that played in that England team are now representing GB and of course we've gained all, you know, all of the other girls, the Scottish girls, we've got a Welsh girl who's playing for us as well. Um, so it's just going to be such an interesting tournament. and the fact we get to play each other twice as well, I think the second game is going to be very different to the first game, you know because we just we don't know what to expect we don't know how the team's going to go out, we don't know their tactics. Um, so it's, it's kind of nerve-wracking like that, but it's incredibly exciting, really, really great
0: as captain of the side you would have obviously put a keen eye over everyone's form who's been some of the players that have been standing out in the AFL London competition of late putting their hand up in form for the GB Swans team ok so I'd say we've had, we've had a couple of people who are just nursing
5: a few injuries and um, we've got some people who are, who are
4: always going to be strong we've got uh, Lisa Wilson has come a long way. I played with her. She was she's one of the people who's really invested a lot of time in developing Aussie rules in the UK. She's been there from you know the first day that I you know got back and said, look who's who's up to starting something up here. She's really invested a huge amount of time. Um, so she's really improved and she's looking very very sharp. She's just coming back from a, a thumb injury I think she had, um, but she's really looking sharp and she's very positive with the way she plays. She played for the Wimbledon Hawks who won um, who won the grand final. Um, And there were a number of other girls that also played for them there. We've got um, Louise Darby, who's playing for the the Hawks, very good. Kent Bennett's also playing for the Hawks, very strong players. You know, some really great girls. And then we've got a couple of the girls who, from Nottingham, are very, very strong. Who've been playing in that London League, league Cobham is, you know, a phenomenal athlete. Um, we've got some of the girls, got Danny Salter, Alex Salter. Both of those Salter sisters are very, very strong. And Rania Ramadan, who's, who's great up top, who kicks goals for fun. So I'm, I'm hoping it's all going to come together at the right time. Like I said, we've got a few people really having some injuries at the moment, um, but they are going to be a very, very, very strong, strong GB team that you're going to see out there.
0: And for those listening, how would you describe yourself as a footballer?
4: Oh well, <laughs> I'm t- I'm tiny. I'm very small. I'm five foot three, um, so I'm one of the smallest on the field. I've got a big gob that makes up my uh, my small stature, um, and I'm 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 a, I'm a rover, so I'm I'm in and around all the time. Um, I try and use my low center of gravity to tackle players, and I just get stuck in basically, um, and I run around, want to be anywhere near the ball is. Um, putting on the shepherds, you know, giving up the bumps, making sure that we're just keeping possession and getting them off the ball as much as possible. That's that's kind of how I describe myself.
0: And I guess with, on legs. <laughs> and I guess with the Olympics on at the moment, and of course the men are starting early in the championships. I guess everyone's feeling very patriotic at the moment. So what does it mean for you personally to be captain of Great Britain?
5: Uh, it is a huge, huge
4: honour and I, I really hope I'm able to articulate that to the team. Um uh, just how how important it is to me it's it's just been amazing to captain the vixens was just a phenomenal experience you know brought a tear to my eye i was very very emotional you know both those times I've captain of that team to captain gb this huge group of players these players who are just such high skill levels and have shown so much commitment and dedication is just oh wow it, it's amazing it really is it to represent your country is phenomenal. And if you ever get the opportunity to do it, I mean, those people who have done it will know how important that is, no matter what the sporting event is. Um, but to captain and to be the leader and to be, you know, leading that team out is just huge. And I will never, ever take that for granted. It's, you know, it's it's really brilliant, really, really great experience. I'm so grateful I was chosen. Um, I'm really thankful for, uh, for the coaches choosing me as captain.
0: Well, Laura, There's thank
4: you. of great vice captains as well to help me well, out.
0: We Cut should me mention down. them.
4: Absolutely, yeah. I've got some really great vice captains. Um, so I've got Stacey Hughes, I've got Chloe Hall, and I've got Rania Ramadan. Those girls are just those are brilliant as well. Um, and Chloe Hall particularly, she she joined in the London League um, a little bit late on towards the end. She's a really promising star. She's a young one. I mean, I'm getting a little bit older now, um, but she's a really, really talented athlete. Um, you'll see her kick quite a number of goals, I would have thought, in this tournament. Um, so, yeah, so we're just trying to invest in the future as well. Um, and I'm going to use my leadership to develop those girls, and hopefully they can pass it on to know, all the people that they meet and try and galvanise them into action as
0: well. And just quickly, because of where the tournament is on in middle of August, um, it is literally the 12-month mark until the IC Cup starts for next year in Melbourne. Are you uh, already yeah. got the new calendar out and starting to count down the days?
4: We, yeah, we absolutely are. I think at the moment, to be honest, we're focusing mainly on this tournament, so the talk has all been about... This European Championships, it's in the background. We all know, and particularly those people in the leadership roles at, at, uh, at GB have been talking, and we're making plans. You know, we're we're trying as much as we possibly can to look at getting sponsorship to get all the girls out there. You know, it's a huge commitment, and we all fund our own stuff at the moment, kit and event and uh, and travel and entering events and all that type of thing. So we're, we're working quite closely with sponsors. Apparently, uh, Richard Branson's quite heavily involved in, in in AFL in Australia. I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's uh, whether I should perhaps. Tweet him directly, or, or or write him a note see if he's potentially interested in sponsoring us. But but yeah, so you know we've got a couple of people who are possibly looking at helping the girls out. But like I said, at the moment we are just focused on this tournament. This is the you know the, the primary focus for us at the moment. But yeah, after that we'll be looking at getting ourselves to the international cup and smashing it there.
0: Now for our final interview on the second best of edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. This woman of Fort Victoria, now over in WA, involved in Swan Districts. Her name, Nicole Graves, and she was responsible for helping create the only ever international rules series played between Ireland and Australia over an island. This happened 10 years ago, 2006, and it hasn't happened since Cross fingers it might happen in 2017 as a doubleheader with the uh, men's in Melbourne in around October, November. But let's flash back to 2006. And we asked Nicole the question, um, how did this all come about? This idea of an international rules series prior to being years away from the women having their own national competition of women's Aussie rules.
5: Uh, yeah, as I said, at the time, Pete, I was working for AFL Victoria in the female space. Um, so, yeah, so pretty much, um, you know, it was we'd sort of started that pathway. We started the youth girls and the primary school girls comps. and So I guess the final pathway at that particular time was, you know, to have an international game. Now, I'd played over in Ireland Gaelic football for a couple of Tourists, I knew, um, you know, the GAA, the Irish GAA over there, and we'd spoken about it, and so, yeah, sort of set up a tour, so, yeah, TG Carha, um, which is the Irish or the Gaelic uh, TV station over there, um, you know, they had it, we're going to broadcast it live, and so we started the old fundraising, and off we went.
0: It's extraordinary. Now, there's quite a number of players that are still playing today uh, women's football that will be part of the National League that toured in that game. But before we touch on those particular players, you said it was televised. This is extraordinary. This is something like nine years before the first women's AFL match was televised.
5: Yeah, no. It was, as I said, it was really exciting. I, you know, unfortunately, the results weren't quite as exciting as uh, as what was going on. But you know, we start everything somewhere, and it has to be started somewhere. So yeah. So listen, yeah, it was brilliant, and that was uh, you know, ironically, it was yeah, telecast, which is pay, one of the pay TV things over there. And it, unfortunately, it was um, all commentated in Gaelic, so all the Aussies that sat up to watch it, all the Aussies that sat up to watch it. Uh, it even though they can watch the game. I listening
0: to it in Gaelic, so it was pretty amusing as well. And one thing that's extraordinary on top of the television coverage of that match is, I believe for women's Gaelic football, I read online that they could drop the crowd to 25,000, and that's jaw-dropping, considering that we claim it's a big crowd of five or 6,000 come and watch a women's match here in Australia. Oh, absolutely. And over in Ireland,
5: it's, you know, they're, they're, they are household names. You know, their grand finals are at Croke Park, which is obviously the MCG over there. Sorry for the noise, I'm standing in the car park. Um, you know, in their grand finals, I've been to a ladies' grand final over there with 50,000 people. You know, all coming to watch and all paying to, you know, full tilt. It's not a pre-match, it was it. You know, that was the game. You know, paying to to play, uh, uh, to watch, you know, women play Gaelic football. So it is fairly phenomenal.
0: It's certainly, um, you know, mind-blowing and hopefully we may see that in women's Aussie rules. But focusing back to 2006, as you said, you were invited over. Um, How how difficult was it to try and pull the side together? Because remember, we're not talking about a national women's AFL competition back then. You're all playing your own state league. So how was it uh, to try and pick players or find the best of the best from around the country to pull them together to play this hybrid game?
5: Yeah, it was interesting, so obviously we had the Nationals in 2005, we picked an All-Australian team, and out of those, All-Australians, they were all invited to a trial, um, which of we also invited probably the top 20 Gaelic players um, as well, so obviously knowing, um, unfortunately the uh, international rules for the of winner doesn't have tackling in it, so it was it was a pretty tough keep to stop them, so... Just a glorified Gaelic game, I think. So yeah, so we sort of did that. We had trial days. Um, we obviously included a lot of the Australian Gaelic players that had toured Ireland the year before, who were, you know just elite at that particular game. So yeah, so that's sort of how it all started. We went, got down to our you know to our 25 and our team managers, and they so said the AFL supplied all the uniforms, but you know and the girls you know um, fundraised, and in the end we spent I think two and a half weeks in Ireland. Um, for about $1,200, which wasn't bad. So, yeah, they fundraised. We got some good sponsors and, and stuff like that. TG Kaha obviously um, uh, were televising. and also gave us fifty grand to get over there as well. So, you know, really fantastic, you know, in those early days, I guess. So a bit of an evolution for now, I must say.
0: Who had the honour of coaching that first side? <laughs> yeah,
5: you know, I had the honour of coaching that first side. So yeah, so at the time I'd been coaching a Victorian Gaelic football team and obviously very involved at um at Darabin, um, you know, as an assistant coach, um, and President Darabin there, so I guess it was sort of made a bit of sense that I was, you know, across both sports. So pretty much um yeah, so I co coached with um with a guy from Western Australia who I coached with in uh, Gaelic football. So we took the team over there and yeah, so it was brilliant. It was a great experience. As I said, the scores, score line was a bit average. Um, but you know, playing in front of those crowds and TV, and, and as I said, you know, it'd be really wonderful to see our evolution of our athletes now. You know, I think we've evolved in ten years. You know, our games evolved. You know, they literally back then. You know, they, they were the ones that had three hundred thousand Irish people, uh, Irish girls playing Gaelic, and now that's us. So you know, so I think you know, the game has evolved considerably here now.
0: I want to talk about some of the players that are still playing to this day, uh, women's Aussie rules football, and may all be uh, uh, drafted. Some already have been signed, uh, one or two obviously on the verge of. Uh, first of all, the player who's just won her seventh Victorian league best and fairest, Daisy Pierce, also the leading goal kicker, the century goal kicker, Moana Hope, both played in that 2006 side.
5: Well, they did, and they were both little babies, really. I think mean, uh, No might have been 17 and, and Daisy 18. So, or the other way around, but Daisy was definitely 18. They might have been just both 18. So,
1: yeah, real
5: um, evolution of that. And You know, they were, they were still fantastic players there. But, um, yeah, no, it was it was fantastic to be involved with those young girls and, and obviously have been involved with those girls since they were young teenagers, um, to take them away on their first tour and then obviously... Um,
0: Be watching what they're doing now is, you know, it's a real thrill for both myself but obviously footy in general too. Uh, Also in the side, I spot uh, Lauren Tessariero, of course, who plays for the Eastern Devils. Her Eastern Devils teammate and and Collingwood priority pick, Meg Hutchins, was selected in the team. And you can also throw in there uh, veterans like Sarah Hammond and Penny Kieler-Reed.
5: You well, know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, you know, Hamo was um, one of the one of the leaders at that at that particular time. So she, you know, she was fantastic there. And, and um, you know, uh, some of the others that, you know she was even a young person then. Would you believe? And a forward, I think, at listening. that stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, she was. I think she won the the Helen Lambert Medal. I think the year before in two thousand five. So as a as a centre half forward, so. Yeah, it's interesting how it all evolves. And as I said, I kept, couldn't be more chuffed that some of those girls are getting the opportunity now. And I, I kind of hope that Hamo gets gets picked up. She's, uh, I reckon, there's still a little bit of life in the old girl yet.
0: <laughs> you've got to have the veteran. You've got to have the smarts in the side, as they say. You know, you can you can have all the skill and have the pace, but you've got to have the smarts. And she's got plenty well, of them.
5: Right. And yeah, and Hamo, you know, was an elite athlete, so she knows how to get herself right. And I, you know, there's some real opportunity. You know, not many 40-year-olds would be able to do that. But, you know, I have full faith that she'd be able to, you know, get involved and certainly support, you know, particularly some of these new newer teams and these young players coming up. So, yeah, it could be interesting 10 years
0: on. Well, what's some of your memories back from 10 years ago that stand out, not from just playing on the pitch, but from that tour, being together, um, travelling uh, throughout Ireland? Oh,
5: um, listen, you know, obviously, you know, getting on the bus and travelling right through Ireland and just seeing how massive female Gaelic football was over there, you know, in their grand finals, they have all the colours in all the windows of the shops and they're on the front page of the paper and you know, at that particular time, you know, we'd probably be lucky to get three lines in the you know, in the sports section of results. So for us at that particular time it's a little bit deja vu because what the girls are going through now with the media is what I guess, you know, Gaelic football, you know, ladies' Gaelic football's had for probably two decades. So you know, so it's, it was really just sort of mind blowing how big you know, you know, the female game was over there. So that was really one of the big ones. You know, travelling right you know, around Ireland to play Gaelic was pretty, pretty good time too.
0: Uh, Next year, of course, we see uh, the the debut season of the uh, AFL women's competition, which happens in February, March. Uh, Later on the year in November, we know the men's international series is definitely scheduled, Australia versus Ireland in Australia. Do you hope that the uh, women's series will be reignited and possibly a doubleheader? Well,
5: listen, I think it'll be brilliant. And uh, many of those girls, I reckon, you know, Daisy and and Mo and... and you know, Hutchie would certainly, you know, agree that we probably weren't our very best in those days. But, you know, women's footy was about 40,000 strong, you know, not 300,000 strong. And, you know, we've just evolved as as players, as athletes, and we certainly wouldn't let the Irish uh, not have the non tackle in there this time. Uh, so we'll be a bit smarter about that. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I think we all agree that you know, our game has evolved so quickly. That'd be, you know, much more of a contest, and we really give it a red hot
0: go. And that concludes the second best of edition of the GirlsPlayFooty dot com podcast, our legends special. I'm Peter Holden. What can I say about 2017? It will be the start of the inaugural AFL Women's competition. I hope that I'm involved somehow, whether it be just producing this podcast and interviewing some of the players. Cross fingers, I might get a calling gig on radio or TV. It's a long shot, but who knows? But I can tell you in 2017, we'll definitely be back with more live coverage of the VFL Women's Competition via Girls Play Footy Radio. We'll also be bringing you coverage of the International Cup Women's Division in August. Cross fingers, I'll be able to head across to San Diego, California, and call for you again, the USAFL Nationals of of 2017 and we hope to be bringing you more podcasts and interviewing more women that are involved in women's Aussie rules football both in Australia and around the world. All your kind messages on Facebook on our Girls Play Footy page and via our Twitter account at Girls Play Footy have been noted and thank you very much for your support. Your support uh, allows us to keep doing this podcast because uh, literally we get no money out of this. This podcast is for free. We do it as volunteers and by you saying just a kind thanks just gives us that little bit of extra motivation to keep on working and keeping on putting this podcast out and doing all the articles that we do on girlsplayfooty.com again i wish you a very merry christmas and a happy new year and i look forward to chatting with you again in 2017 until then bye for now